<laughs> Thanks, guys. Why don't you grab your chairs? Thank you. Jesus is amazing. Yeah, Pastor was asking me about that thing, and I said, oh, I'm not sure. I'll have to let you know. I got a lot in front of me right now. My schedule, and that was a pretty sneaky move <laughs> to say that and then hear the people go, woo, and then go, <laughs> pretty sneaky, Pastor. <laughs> Amen. Well, we did talk about baptism last night. I'm not sure who we have here because some people were from away and out of town, and I just want to know before we even get rolling, is do I have any of my folks that are getting baptized that are here from last night? Oh, you're there back there, buddy, Chauncey. Eddie, right? Yeah, and your son, he's here. Okay, let me ask you this. Do you guys, do you guys need to put on your baptismal stuff or are you wearing it or do you need to get it on? If you need to get it on, just go get it on a while. Just take your time, get it on. I'm going to do a few things, and that way we'll be ready when it's time. So anybody that's getting baptized, I didn't see my young girl, Emma. I don't know if she's here. I was, man, I was hoping she was here today. Is Emma here? Okay, but she's planning on coming? Man, my heart is for Emma. I just, I don't even know her, but man, I was thinking about her this morning. I know that's just the love of God. It's just... And, and I was excited because the Lord does things in people's lives. And, and whether she showed or not, you know, I was just believing for Emma. And the Lord actually gave me, uh, when I was thinking about her, he spoke to my heart. And he said, Ecclesiastes 3.13, what the Lord does, no one adds to or takes away. And the Lord does it that men might fear before him. That's what the Lord spoke to me when I was thinking about Emma. And I was like, bam, I was just excited. So, uh, so I got my people that are getting baptized. Is there anybody else that's jumping in? You just thought, you know, well, I don't know. You might have some people getting in in their clothes till we're done. Because I'm going to talk about some stuff. And you'd be like, ah. <laughs> so good, good, good. So yeah, you guys, if you're, if you're not dressed for water baptism, if you're not dressed, go get dressed a while. And get, and get ready, go to the men's room, go to the ladies' room, whatever you need to do, and, and go ahead and get dressed. Is your little, is your little girl going to be out here then? Okay, she is? Good. Uh, she's, how old is she? She's six. She asked if she could get baptized last night. She's six. Mama's a little concerned. We're always thinking, no, is a child too young? But I thought it was an interesting story. She came home from school. They had a chapel, but she didn't, like, do an order call or anything. She just came home and told her mom, she said, I received Jesus today in my heart during chapel or after chapel. And she said, really? But nobody prayed with her. And she just heard and she just talked to the Lord and gave herself to Jesus. Came home. It was enough conviction to a six-year-old that she came home and told her mom. And I just thought that was cool. And she was never water baptized. So we're going to baptize her today. I feel good about that. Uh, I'm blessed by your children here. There's a generation here, man. Like, like there's a lot of young kids. Like, I don't know what you teach, but I accused him last night of just camping and be fruitful multiply. I'm like, brother, turn the page. There's a whole lot of good gospel. You know, your people got that down. Like, that's nailed. Like, you got that. You're bearing fruit. You know, so turn the page, man. There's a lot of good gospel. But, uh, but here's what I was thinking today. And, and don't get, don't get, don't feel bad. Don't get condemned by this. Get inspired by this. I'm looking and I'm thinking, what an opportunity like, Jesus, for me, is enough motivation to live him, to, to love God and to go, after, to go after him and surrender to everything that's menial and frivolous and self-centeredness and all that stuff that I was stumbled over my whole life. Jesus, now that I understand him, he himself's enough motivation for me to live godly and live Christ. You see what I'm saying? But I'm looking at these kids and I'm thinking, there's so much motivation if you look around, like... What an honor to be an example to children. What an honor, honor to be an example to not just your own children, but everybody's children. And, and live Christ and show them what love looks like and, and show them what life in the Spirit looks like. Humility, repentance, forgiveness, mercy, especially in our homes. Like, like it's one thing to bring your children to church. It's another thing to live Christ in front of your children. In fact... Don't get hurt by this. Get challenged by this. Listen, this is all edifying stuff. It's sobering, but it's edifying. You can bring your children to church and not live Christ, and inadvertently, without realizing it, you're teaching your children that Christianity's church attendance instead of Christ-likeness. Are you with me? 
It's just not cool just because you're comfortable at home and familiar at home to just throw a fit and, and fume and, and not get resolved and, and have unresolved conflicts and, and, and spout and stuff and do stuff and just think, oh, well, everybody understands. You know, we all just love each other. We get over it. It's, it's just not cool because it has a dulling effect in time. And I'm charging us this morning with a whole house full of children here to let's think about genuine love. Let's think about Christ-likeness. I had a beautiful thing happen. The lady that was sitting beside me had her two children there. I don't know how old her boy is, the young boy. He's about six. So I just love on people. I'm just, it's the way I am. It doesn't matter if I'm in a church service. It doesn't matter if I'm walking through a store. I just love on people. And I just see the value of people. And I absolutely can't even describe the love I have for children. I wasn't that way before I, I was saved. Children could have probably bothered me at times. Now it's no way a child could bother me. They sit behind me on a plane. They're banging their little tray up and down and pushing the seat. And, and people get mad and call the flight attendant and say, I paid X amount for this blankety-blanket seat. And I don't need some blankety-blanket kids sitting behind me. You, know, you got to get control. Come on. I've been on flights where people get agitated. I remember a little child doing that to me behind my seat the one time. I've had it happen a bunch. I fly all the time. But I, I spun around and the guy's on his computer. He has no idea what his daughter's doing. She's tiny, and I just said, hey, you. And she went, she kind of hid. And I reached down this side, and I grabbed her toe. I had her little sandal. I had, and she's like, ah, oh, that man has me. And I'm like, and, then, and I looked and laughed, and she said, and then she's like leaning, Dad, Daddy, that man got my toe. <laughs> so then she starts messing around again, and the daddy, he, you know how we can be as parents? He's totally not paying attention to his daughter at all, which isn't, I'm not saying that in a bad way. She's just doing this for a long time, and he's just busy in whatever he's busy in. And when he looks at her, he doesn't like, sweetheart, listen, whoa, there's a person. And he doesn't teach her. He just goes, oh, my gosh, hey, stop it. You knock it off. That's what he did to her. And it, why is that so normal? Because that's what was done to us our whole lives. That's really not cool. You teach, you train. You empower, you equip. You don't just straighten out, correct, and shape up. <laughs> so I spun around when I saw that. I said, hey, listen, buddy, it's okay. I said, listen, I understand, we, you know, your daughter and what you do, but, man, we need to teach and train. She's so little. How old is she? She was barely like three. And I said, and I know you don't want her doing that, but I said, listen, I said, I'm probably the best person on this whole flight. That could sit in front of your daughter. She has absolutely no ability whatsoever to frustrate me. Not whatsoever. I got nothing but love for your little girl. And I went, and she's like. So the whole flight, I played with her and messed with her. The whole flight. And she was just until she finally conked out, I think, but. She might not even fell asleep. I don't know. I have so many kids' stories on planes. It's ridiculous. I held one lady's little almost newborn. She was so nervous to fly on a Southwest flight. Pick your own seat. I'm one of the first on the plane, and I sit beside her in the middle. I got hundreds of seats, and I sit beside her in the middle holding the newborn. And she's nervous. And she said, oh, my goodness, sir. You got all these seats. You don't want to sit there. She said, I got my newborn, and I've never flown, and I'm so scared. I said, no, I realize you're scared. I said, you want me beside you. I said, I'm beside you on purpose. Because the person that's going to end up sitting here is going to get forced here. Because it's the last middle seats. And you're going to be the last one. And the person that sits there isn't going to want to be here. You see how love thinks? You see what selflessness looks like? And I sat there, and she said, I just can't believe you're sitting here. I said, are you kidding me, honey? I wouldn't believe if I didn't sit here. I said, Jesus changed my life a long time ago. So now I got fruit to back my story. Now I got her ear. Now I pour my heart out to her. Her little baby, it wasn't actually, it wasn't a newborn. It was pushing, baby was pushing a year old, uh, which is really little. 
and she didn't know how she was going to do on the flight. I start loving on the little baby. You know what little babies do when they get a little older? They reach their little arms out when they feel safe, when they want, they kind of leap. It's the most beautiful thing when a baby reaches for you, especially when it's not even your own or they don't even know you. And, and the little boy's like, I want to go to that man. <laughs> and, I, and she's like, oh, honey, and she's holding him. And, she, and I said, he actually wants to come to me. I said, would you be weirded out if I, like, hold your little boy? She said, you would hold my... I said, honey, I'd hold your boy the whole flight. And she said, are you serious? I said, honey, can I hold your boy? He came right to me. So she has a bag of stuff there. I said, does he like that little truck? He's like, I don't know. I'm thinking he's eight, nine months old. I forget. But I, don't, I know he was under a year. But I took the little truck and I started talking to him and playing with him. And I'm running the truck up the seat, and I'm jumping it down, I'm bringing it up my leg, crossed his leg, she's like, <laughs> and when I hit mommy's leg and went down and jumped over, and she, <laughs> I played with that boy, I talked to him, I prayed over him, I rocked him, and that boy crashed, when we landed, I had to wake him up, like, by giving him to mom, she said, I cannot believe you held my boy the whole flight. This flight was amazing. I was so nervous. And da-da-da. You see what Jesus can look like in the moment? This little boy leaned over to his mom. She said he tends to be shy in the beginning when he doesn't know people. I just walked in and I tickled his little sister's belly and she giggled and giggled. I said, you're so beautiful. Your smile's amazing. I said, you made my heart so happy. And she said, and I said, hey, little buddy, man, I love your jacket. He had a hoodie on with some kind of action figure guy. I don't know. <laughs> she just leaned over and said, my son can be pretty shy, but he just leaned up before he went to children's church and he said, mom, do you know that man? And she said, no. He said, well, I think he's pretty cool. He seems like a really nice man. I don't know about you, but you want to leave that in the hearts of all kinds of people all the way through your journey. There's people that need that love in that moment. There's people that need that little bit of acknowledgement, affirmation, attention. You and I have people, older folks in this room, we have people we've never forgotten. A teacher, somebody that was important in our life that meant something to us in a critical moment. I promise you, if you live Christ, you'll be that person in a whole lot of people's lives and a whole lot of times. It won't just be one moment here and one moment there. Are you following me? Listen, guys, what I'm pleading with you is, let's understand. I know we're living our lives, but our lives aren't our own. That's what the Bible says. The Bible says you've been bought with a price, and you're not your own. So that kind of blows out of the water just being a Christian for my sake, and blessings, and baskets of blessings, and provision, and protection. And if those things don't happen, where have you been, Lord? And I got issues. I've talked to countless people in my Christian life that say, well, I'm, me and God are just, we got a little thing right now. We just haven't been talking. I'm like, no, you haven't been talking. <laughs> Look, we go through stuff. We go through trials. We go through, I, people say, you're just so happy. Things must, it must be amazing to walk with God like this. Don't think that I have less challenges than you. Both my kids ran off in their mid-teens, came back doing great, but they ran off. My wife struggled for eight long years and wouldn't even come to church. Felt pressured by my life. My mom was sick for 40 years. I changed her diapers when I was young, carried her to bed and helped dad. We buried her. My brother just died in October suddenly. Come on. You can't see any of that when you look at me. You don't have a clue that I went through any of that. Because none of that has anything to do with who I am and how I am and why I am. I am not trying to get through life. I'm living it.
in Christ Jesus. Are you with me? Yeah. You got to tell some little things now and then so people realize you ain't just above the clouds. <laughs> or they say, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. No, I'm so heavenly minded, I'm a whole lot of earthly good. I'm there for people. I'm there for my family when they're grieving in an excessive way. I'm there when mama dies. I'm there to do her funeral. I'm, I'm there to be an example and a living epistle. So when this thing wraps up, I have a testimony. I have fruit in my account. I have lives that have been touched and influenced because I laid mine down and didn't just try to live it for me. I'm serious about that, and you can tell I'm serious. And I'm going to have that when I stand before him. And faith's going to take me there. And I'm telling you, you can have faith that takes you there. Because every man's been given a measure. Let's do something with it. This morning, let's make a decision. You know what? I'm done complaining. I'm done. Listen, I'm not preaching perfection. I'm preaching, I'm, I'm preaching purity of heart. Let's get on a journey. We're not running a risk of failing. We're privileged to become if we begin. Are you with me? Let's put away these things. Like he said, she said, well, I wouldn't. Well, they would Well, how come they have to? Well, every time they, well, that just makes me so mad. Well, I don't know why. Who's ever seen life come out of that? Who's ever seen God's glory in that conversation? <laughs> look, I don't need a reason to not look like Jesus. I have too good a one to follow him. And I'm not going to let anybody on the earth have the power to decide my motive when my faith is in Christ. Well, brother, you don't know what I've been through. What, now we got to exchange horror stories? <laughs> Guys, we have horror stories. I've been through stuff. I grew up with an alcoholic dad. You say, well, wonder if you, you know, I've been touched wrong. Wonder if I've been touched wrong. What does any of those things have to do with what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about my upbringing. I'm talking about Christ living in me. I'm talking about new purpose and new motive and new reason for being. I'm not talking about old life. I'm talking about new life. What should matter that my dad was alcoholic? What should matter that mom was sick? Christ is in me. You walk through that stuff in Christ. Once you come in Christ, you process all that through Christ. And you call it dead and you call this new. And you live from the place of truth. Now faith understands what I'm saying. Unredeemed feelings and emotions don't get it. Sometimes we feel like we need a right to have a right to be a lot of things and we're more psychological than we are spiritual. And then we get tricked into living sensual. Well, yeah, but I feel. Yeah but, yeah, but what do you really believe? Because what you believe has influence over what you feel. And I don't stuff feelings. I'm full of them. You can tell. I'm a raging. I'm up and down. And rah, and rah, and rah, and I'm like, ah! But they're all channeled through truth. They're all healthy and positive. None of them are a detriment to my disposition or my view of you. Are you with me? <laughs> he changes your perspective. He change. People say, I can't believe you travel all the time. That has to be trying, traveling. I know how traveling is. I used to travel. My I'm like, no, I do everything in Christ. Traveling's a blast. People aren't a burden. Hello? People are our calling. We're not called to avoid them. We're called to love them. We're not called to judge them and be angry at them. We're called to give them Christ. And if we have Christ, we ought to give them Christ, not in patience. Are we okay? I'm not mad. Can you tell I'm not mad? I'm just cheering you on. I'm saying, would you come run with me? Listen, even in serious trials. I mean, I've got people sitting in front of me that are going through physical trials. It's obvious. You see it. My mother was. Even in the midst of those things, 
we can still find ways to stay close to God while we're believing and, and, and hoping for healing and praying for healing. We can still shine and we can still encourage and we can still let Him be greater than the thing we're in the middle of. I watched my mom do that for 40 years as a Christian. She imparted something to me phenomenal. 40 years. She was 15 years. She didn't even get out of bed. The last 15 years, she was totally immobile and tubes fed her. And she went to the bathroom in bags. You could not find a smile on her face. You had to love my mom. You'd walk in the room and she'd say, hi. Why? She knew she was a daughter and her calling was to shine way before she was an MS patient. And the MS was real because she couldn't walk. But she never let MS dominate her life. She let Christ dominate her life. And when I did her funeral, you couldn't find nowhere to park. And I cried and cried at her funeral. I didn't cry when mama died. I think psychologically I was a little relieved because we never saw her healed and I knew she was with Jesus and I knew she was fine. And the suffering was over and she didn't have to go to the bathroom in a bag anymore. I think it, psychologically I was a little relieved. And I never cried when mama died because I knew she's not dead. You said Lester Summerall's coming. I thought, dude, that is going to be a miracle. See, I didn't know. I, didn't, I was like, these people are walking in something around here. They're just bringing Lester in. Lester, can you roll in for a session and we'll send you back? I was like, what? That man's been going for a long time and you're bringing him to church? I need you guys to lay hands on me. I didn't realize his grandson was Lester. When I went to mom's funeral, I'm, I'm doing her funeral. My dad said, would you be able to handle that? I said, absolutely. I would love to blow a trumpet of honor for my mother. I said, I won't even struggle with emotion. I will blow a trumpet of honor for my mother. And when I got to the cemetery, we just did an outdoor graveside. We didn't do an in, 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 indoor service at all and then head to the, we just went right to the graveside and did a graveside. It's pretty cool. I did my grandparents' funerals. Just amazing. I have a good legacy and a good testimony of family. I pulled up at the cemetery and they were two by two the whole way up around to her graveside. I thought in my mind I knew exactly who would be there. I had it counted in my head. and It's going to be small, intimate, and our family and a handful of friends. And I knew in my head who was going to be there. And when I got there... They were parked the whole way up the hill and around. And all these people that I never dreamed would be there that got touched by her life along the way because of who she was in the middle of extreme trial. They were flabbergasted and they felt like they had to be there on that day to honor a woman that they never saw anyone like. How many funerals have nursing staff standing at the graveside? and visiting nurses and several doctors. It's unheard of. Their patients die every day. They don't get that attached. They might be sincere with their patients, but they don't get that attached to where they can take time out of their doctor schedule to be at a funeral. I've got nurses and doctors in front of me. Mind-boggling. And I had the microphone. And on behalf of the family, I'm thanking everybody for coming. And I'm noticing nurses that I'm familiar with from visiting mom. And, and I see these doctors in the back. And I'm like, I'm like, hey, girls, oh, my goodness, you're here. And they're like, we're here. I'm like, oh, and I'm looking at faces. And I say, doctor, oh, my goodness, God bless you. Thank you for being here today. That means a lot to our family. And doctor, oh, my goodness. And I'm like, what? Well, I had them balling in less than a few minutes because... And then the girls were so easy. The nurses were so easy. I, if, if, if I wanted to make them cry on purpose, I, it would have took me 20 seconds. But I took a couple minutes and had them sobbing their eyes out. It was fun. I saw it coming. But, but it helped everybody. I said, I know why you're here. I said, it's not normal for you all in the, your jobs and positions. And you're, Sir, you're the, he's the city director of the city doctors of the York Hospital. He's the director of city doctors. He does not have the schedule to be at mom's grayside, but he's there. 
He came up to me, cried, and hugged me at the end. He said, boy, you really moved my heart today and got me thinking when you talked about self-centeredness. Man, you got my attention. He said, thanks for explaining why your mother was the way she was. Because you're exactly right when you said, I figured she was one in a million, an enigma. He just figured she was one of those rare individuals. And I revealed she was a believer. And what, what she believed, we can all believe. I said, I know why you're here. You're all here because you never met a woman like her. In the middle of her trial and her struggle, you never saw one with her disposition, her kindness, her continued love, and her smile. And they are, I said, but let me explain, because if we're not careful, you'll just write her off as a one in a million, an enigma, instead of what really made her the way she was. And then I talked about purpose and identity and motive and how she wrapped faith around the truth and was always a daughter in her heart before she was a patient. And she knew that her goal in the earth was to shine. Let your light. Come on. Jesus is saying that to the room. Y'all Christians here this morning? Most of you? So the ones that are saying they're Christians, Jesus is saying this to you. You're the light of the world. Well, I thought you were, Jesus. Yeah, I am, and I'm in you. That makes you the light of the world. So nobody lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. You're a city set on a hill. Can't be hidden. I turned you on. Go ahead and shine. <laughs> Let your light so. It doesn't say, unless, of course, you just got laid off. Unless, of course, you just had a foreclosure. Unless, of course, you just lost a loved one. I'm not being insensitive. I'm being straight. He said, let your light so shine before men. There's no unless. In fact, in the moment of calamity and trial is when your light shines the brightest and has the most impact and influence in people that don't understand. When my wife was in a coma on life support and they were sure she was going to die, pretty sure she was going to die, they called my house to tell me they were pretty sure she, she could, you know, do you understand, sir? She, they want me to be, they want me to fall apart. The fact that I, they think I'm, uh, I don't understand. They're like, do you understand that she could die? I don't know what to do with that. They just think I'm cuckoo. The last thing in my faith and heart is she's going to die. So I can't react. I don't know how to react. I'm not suppressing feelings. I don't have the ones they're looking for. not being presumptuous and arrogant when I say this. I just happen to be a believer in some things. And I don't fret. We love not our own lives unto death. And deep in my heart, even if I lose my wife, I'll miss her at best and have physical time lost at best. But it's a brief moment. It's a small window in light of eternity. So nothing changes. Nothing changes about Christ. Nothing changes about my disposition. Nothing changes about my purpose. Do I miss her? Absolutely, I would miss my wife. Do I love her? For sure. If I stood by her for eight years of deception, I think that's enough evidence for most. Yeah? Some of us don't make eight weeks of turmoil. Eight days is a counseling appointment. Come on, I'm being real. When I was going into that ICU room and visiting her, the tending nurse to my wife happened to be the neighbor of the teacher my wife worked with. How coincidental. She's going, giving play-by-play to the teacher because of privacy, you can't get info from hospitals. So she's getting play-by-play play, or giving it to the teacher the best she can, probably even violating privacy. I don't know, but she goes, well, she's this, she's that, and this, and we read this, but she said, but do you know her husband? Like, who's her husband? And 
The teacher told my wife all this later. She said, your husband had quite an impact on that ICU. I never even thought about ministering. It never even dawned on me to minister. I was just there to see my wife. I wasn't trying to minister to anybody. I just realized your life's a ministry when you walk in love and you're at peace. And when you're filled with Jesus, I guess he just squirts and oozes out every little crack. I guess you just... But they just said he carries such a peace. You can see he loves his wife deeply and he's so not, he's anything but distraught. And he just carries himself in a way that it's amazing. When my wife got totally miraculously healed, because it was dramatic, the doctor said he'd never seen anything like it in his whole medical profession. He burst out in tears because his medical mind was so blown that he couldn't process it and he cried and fell on my shoulder. That's not professional. But it's real. So I held him right in the middle of ICU and rocked him. And I just let him cry. And I didn't let go until he did. I had a pastor once tell me, when somebody grabs you and initiates a hug, don't let go till they do. You hug them till they're ready, till they got enough. And that's wisdom. So I just held him. As comfortable as could be. And he's sobbing on my shoulder because he's overwhelmed. His mind is. You just think about what that does for everybody around when you're walking in the spirit. You think about my mother. We didn't, we didn't see her healed. I didn't know what I know now. I, I had some beliefs that have... Tr- truly strongly changed since then. I was believing a couple things that were probably not cool at the time, putting a little too much on my mother because of some things that she believed and said, and and I let that shake me, and it's just a story I won't get into, but there's no regrets. We're just growing and learning. But my goodness, we never saw her healed. That doesn't change goodness of God. That doesn't change... My mom's alive forever. Her sins are totally forgiven. Like she's eternal in the presence of God forever. Like, does that mean anything to us? Or are we just bothered because she suffered? Does that mean anything to us? That Jesus came and did what he did and was totally right and got treated wrong, got beat beyond description and gave his life. Nobody took it. He gave it so that now he could give my mom life. Yeah, but what about those? What about eternity? What about forgiveness? What about his mercy? What about her disposition and her faith? Make sure you don't heard about her story more than she ever did. See, there's something about perspective that's vital. I found it in my Bible. It's like Matthew 6. The eye is the lamp of the body. And if the eye is single... Single, that's one void. Come on, single, I'm narrowing this baby down. I'm looking through it. Don't think I don't see you. I see you. I just only see one, two, three, four at a time. But my eye's single. And if my eye's single, my whole body is flooded with light. It doesn't say unless, of course, your mom's been sick for 40 years and your dad was an alcoholic and your children ran off and your mother and your, and your wife was hurting for eight years. No, no, no. It says if I see clear, I'll be clear. And if I don't take life personal, but I take the giver of life personal, I'm going to walk through everything that I ever face. And I'm not going to budge. I'm not going to flinch. And I'm not going to back up. Are you hearing me? Not just because I'm shouting and have a mic. Are you hearing me? Hearing me. Come on, we got every reason to win because he won. We got every reason to have victory. We're more than conquerors, people. That has nothing to do with our circumstances. That has to do with our faith, our perspective, and the race we're running. Don't you back off. Don't you grow weary in well-doing. Don't you give up. You say, yeah, but it's hard. Stop telling yourself that. wonder if Jesus said it's hard. Why give ourselves permission psychologically to do what he never did? 
Why don't we wrap faith around this thing and find out that we'll find a whole lot of grace in our lives? Look, I'm not against psychology. I'm just not a real fan of the... There's no real answer in psychology. All it is is a diagnosis of why people act the way they act. But we're studying a fallen man. And then we're putting everybody in that box. You're not going to study me psychologically or you'll think I need something. (laughs) You'll say, oh, he's definitely out of his mind. But the truth is I'm just out of yours. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Maybe not yours, but yours. Are you with me? (laughs) They thought Jesus was loco. When I look at Jesus, he's pretty solid. Isn't it amazing? He's not going through the cross and thinking, boy, I just can't believe this is really unfolding like this. I knew, Lord, you said it was going to happen, but now that I'm really in the middle of it, it's pretty startling. I mean, my own guys ran off. Look what they did to me and how they beat me. Barabbas, that kind of hurt. I mean, come on, Barabbas? He doesn't even think like that, guys, because he's love. So if he doesn't think like that, he couldn't have taught us to think like that. So where'd we learn it? And why are we so sure it's right when we didn't get it from him? Oh, boy, that's convicting. No wonder the Bible says not be conformed to the world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind. No wonder the Bible says not be cheated, robbed, plundered, or taken captive by empty deceit, traditions of men, philosophy, or the basic principles of the world, and not according to to Christ if I can't find that mindset in him why is it okay in me if I can't find what I'm thinking feeling believing in the life of Jesus why is it okay in me because as he is so are we in this world he didn't say sing to me he didn't say pray to me when you're overwhelmed he said follow me oh he did read your bible He said, follow me. He didn't say, follow me if we couldn't. He's not sitting there with the father going, look, they're actually trying. (laughs) Are you all okay? I hope you're okay. We got to do a water baptism. Oh, my goodness. I just saw the, I just saw the time. I got so, I got into preaching, brother. I guess all the time, we got, no, we got children, we got, do I got my baptismal folks ready? Is, 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 uh, you guys are dressed and ready? Okay, I'm going to talk a little about baptism and then we'll do it. You, you don't need to take an offering. You took one, you took one Friday, you took one Saturday, we're go going, sit down. We're, we're going to. Don't give a penny, don't give a penny. <laughs> Let's take up an offering for this brother. If you've you got an offering, I know, we're going to take another one. Don't yeah. give <laughs> There's places that are going to invite you to come that can't afford to be generous. We can't, so we're going to do it. So, Father, we're grateful for this man of God. Thank you for his heart. Thank you for his faith. Thank you for his love. And as we give to him, Father, we ask that you would bless him, that you'd continue to open up doors to take him to places where hungry hearts are seeking to know Jesus the way he really is. We just bless him in Jesus' name. Bring your offering to the front, everything that comes in that goes directly to Dan and his ministry. And uh, the key word is not guest speaker. I found out it's speaker. So that's it right there. So uh, Dan, you're free to take it home. (laughs) I love you, brother. Okay, we're going to do a water baptism. I want you to understand something, why it's so important, very important. I don't know if you know this theologically, but you can't find in the book of Acts Who knows the book of Acts, early church, birth of the church, right? You guys with me? I know there's walking and stuff, but you guys are all right, right? You focused? Watch this. Do you know the early church, the book of Acts, right? The birth of the church. When Peter preached the first message ever preached by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we can find, and we most of us know that 3,000 were added that day, right? 
But what happened when he was preaching? They were cut to the heart. And they said, men and brethren, what shall we do? He said, repent, meaning change the way you've been thinking. Right? He said, repent and be baptized and you shall be saved. So what was in the message? He mentioned baptism right away. So watch this. There's nowhere in the, new, in the uh, book of Acts where you find the people getting saved where baptism wasn't immediately and wasn't a strong part of the message. The reason it's not that way in today's church is because we're not focused on transformation. We're focused on blessing. And we preach messages that serve us and sometimes don't ever challenge to transform us. So we're more about going to heaven than getting new life. It's just true. We preach the gospel in a way that sends everybody to heaven, but what about new life? What about old things passed away and all things becoming new? What about putting on Christ? What about putting off the old and putting on Christ? See, in the, in the gospels, in the book of Acts, they taught a life transformed. They, they taught that you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus. In today's church, we teach a lot of messages that benefit us and serve us, and all we're thinking about is, hey, did you pray the prayer to go to hell? Hey, are you saved? Hey, I'm saved. Are you saved? And what we're saying is, did you pray the prayer that qualifies you to go to heaven when you die? When the word saved actually means healed, delivered, protected, preserved, made whole, and kept safe and sound. It's an all-inclusive word of restoration and redemption. Are you with me? Acts 8, eunuch is reading Isaiah 53. The eunuch is reading Isaiah 53, and Philip jumps up in his chariot with him, and it says that from that point, because the eunuch said to Philip, Sir, who's this man talking about? Who's the prophet talking about, himself or another? And from that point, Philip began to preach unto him Jesus. Acts 8, period. Preach unto him Jesus, period. Next sentence. Having come to some water, the eunuch said, look, water, what forbids me that I be baptized? Which means Philip never preached Jesus without emphasizing the importance of water baptism. So the very next sentence, the first thing on the eunuch's mind is, hey, there's water, let's get her done. And he said, only that you believe with all your heart. Why is it so important to water baptism? I mean, it just looks like an old trough with a lid on it over there. Well, it doesn't even have the lid on. And... Uh, we got some water, so we're not going to sprinkle their heads. We're going to put them under. And I'm doing it, so I'm holding them under. Every bubble's stopping. You better have faith today when you get back. Well, you don't even need faith. I got faith. Every bubble's stopping. I wait 40 seconds after the last convulsion before I'll bring them up. <laughs> I want to make sure they're dead. I don't want no prayer to go to heaven stuff. I, I'm going to make sure they're dead. And when I bring them up, <gasps> new life. And if they don't, <gasps> we know where they went. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. Listen, listen. Listen. This is amazing. Jesus had to die. He was beat beyond description. He had to hang naked on the cross and actually die. And all he asks us to do is be sincere and believe and surrender our lives. And then you go in here in a moment of time, like a second of time. You go under the water and by faith step up into everything that he accomplished. He hung there for... Now in my early days, if I perceived a lot of nasty stuff in people's lives and past and sin, we would put the lid on and come back and get them in three days. We'd just take the stone away and get them out. No, we didn't. It's one second of water bath. You just go under in faith. But I want you to see why it's so powerful. This is symbolic of the grave of Jesus Christ. We're buried into his baptism, into his death. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. The life he lives, he lives unto God. Likewise, we reckon ourselves dead indeed unto sin. So you people that are being baptized, listen carefully. When you, this young man, he's, what is he, 10? What are you, 10, son? He said, when, when, they, when we prayed last night, I got a vision that God put all my sins in a chest and locked it and stuck it on a shelf. And I said, yeah. He said, yeah, I had that vision. I said, well, listen, he puts your sins in a sea of forgetfulness. He's never going to open that chest and pull it out, that sin. He remembers it no more. Ten-year-old shared that vision. He's getting baptized today. He said to dad last night, can I go up front? I want to go up front. I said, dad, you didn't compel him? He said, no, he came to me. I said, that's amazing. So he's going to get water baptized. Why is it important? 
Guys, everything we've ever done, everything we, we've all known to do right and we haven't, that's sin, it says. He who knows to do right and doesn't, to him it is sin. Even if you're not a Christian, you have that ability in your conscience to know something's right and still do wrong and think twice about it. But when you act on it and say, God, I wish I never did that. Would you forgive me? Would you wash me in the blood of Jesus? Would you receive me as your own? He goes, sure will. He's amazing. So then we go as an acknowledgement, but it's deeper than that. When we put you guys under today, listen, anything you've ever done outside of the will of God, everything, anything ever done to you outside of the will of God, we're putting that under. You're dying with him in the likeness of his death. You're dying to sin once and for all. What's that mean? Just the act of sin? No. The stain of sin, the identity of sin, the memory of sin, the impulse of sin, the flashback of sin, everything about sin, we're dying and we're no longer just going to be in some war against sin. We're going to be sons and daughters of the living God. We're coming out of the water filled with God's spirit, cleansed, innocent and clean and free before the Lord. Like, it's incredible. But it's not taught that strong. I'm not saying you don't. At large, when I say that, I mean at large. It's just pray a prayer to go to heaven. If you don't know where you're going tonight, if you die, if you leave this service and hit a tree and don't know where you're going, you got to pray this prayer. Come on, I'm not going to do that to you. I'm going to tell you, look, you've been driving the car. Get over and give Jesus the wheel. You've been living for yourself, and that's the biggest problem of your life. It's the only reason you have unforgiveness. It's the only reason you're discouraged. It's the only reason you hate someone. It's the only reason you cut somebody off, because you've been living for yourself. If God was living for her, his self, he'd have cut you off by now. Come on, let's die to ourselves. That's what this is. So we're dying to self. We're living unto him. So some scriptures like... Uh, Okay, I'll just do it this way. You got to understand that when you go under there today, you're forgiven of everything you've ever done, and he's removing all unrighteousness. First John chapter 1. If he removes all unrighteousness, what's left? Righteousness. If he takes all unrighteousness, then the only thing you can be is righteous. So you got to put on that robe, you got to wear that thing, and you got to know that you're clean, right? So watch this in 1 Peter. People don't talk about this much, but I think it's fascinating. I saw it years ago. I talk about it quite a bit. In, in 1 Peter chapter 3, he talks about Noah, and he says, There was once the divine long-suffering God. He waited in the days of Noah while, while Noah was building the ark. Who knows it took a long time for Noah to build the ark? Who knows people thought he was loco? They don't even know what rain. They're like, rain? And, 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 and then flood, and he's in the middle of nowhere, and he's building this huge ark. And they're like, what are you doing? Floods are coming, man. God told me. They're like, you're nuts. So instead of repenting, they criticize. Happens all the time. So Noah's, Noah's building the ark. And he says this. Watch what he says. He says, this divine suffering, the, the divine long-suffering waited, meaning God, the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, a few, it's Noah's family, that is eight souls were saved, saved through water. See, people get in theological arguments. People just want to argue, argue. Well, you're not, you don't, it's not water baptism. It saves you. It's the blood, brother. It's the blood. You probably ought to read your Bible. I'm not saying you don't go to heaven if you don't get water baptized. But there's a sozo. There's a salvation in water baptism that heals, delivers, protects, preserves, makes whole, and kept safe and sound. It's in your Bible, and it's undeniable. There it is. Everybody can see I'm preaching the truth. Which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through... Well, I thought it's the blood that saves me, brother. It is. But there's a salvation through water baptism. There's a grace that's received for redemption and restoration and reconciliation. When you put off the old and you put on the new. Look at the next verse. It's actually incredible. There's also an antitype which now saves us. Uh-oh, same word. There's an antitype, an analogy he just used. So the antitype is what? It now saves us. He's just talking about Noah and the flood. What's he telling the flood is? What's, what's Peter got a revelation of? He's saying, guys, I know we call it a flood, but it wasn't a flood. The earth was full of unrighteousness, and God baptized the earth in water. God baptized the earth in water, and when he brought the earth out of the water, there was no unrighteousness on the earth. 
there was only eight righteous souls that passed through the water. Because he destroyed all unrighteousness. But unfortunately, in that season, under the law, there was, or under sin, they, all the people died. So what did God do? Put a rainbow in the sky and vowed and said, I'll never destroy the earth this way again. What's he pointing to? There's a baptism coming, but it won't cost men their lives in the sense of physical death. It'll just cost the men their lives in the sense of dying to themselves. But the men are going to live. There's a baptism coming. It'll never be like this again. Peter said, we got an antitype. It's Noah's flood. And this antitype saves us. Come on, it's undeniable. It saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the filth of your flesh. You're not taking a bath. It's not a shower. It's the answer of a good conscience toward God. Now, how many people do you know, and maybe yourself, that struggled at times with a good conscience towards God? Water baptism handles that because you realize he loves me, he forgives me, I'm willing, I'm ready to push, come up, newness of life. Yea, God, thank you, Jesus. Clear conscience. Now he's approachable, you're unveiled, and you have boldness before him because Jesus is your high priest. You get it? Come on, this is important. It's the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we're going to do that over here, and we're going to word baptize you guys. And uh, there's a lot of scriptures I could read, but that's the one he just gave me right there, and I think that one says it plain. We have an anti-type, water baptism. What's it do? Saves us. People get into, please don't get pulled into arguments with people. People, I'm not, the, I'm not the right guy to debate with. I won't argue with you. I will just smile. If you don't want to listen, I won't say anything. I'll just smile and probably frustrate you because I'll just smile. <laughs> because your argument doesn't threaten the truth that's in my heart. Like, you can't take away my experience in the Lord. I've walked with God in, in these things and in these ways. i got so many testimonies, so many things going on in my memory, in my heart, in my life. And you're going to theologically try to argue me out of 27 years of living Christ? I guess we'll just let the smoke clear and let time tell. Yeah? I feel pretty good about that option. Yeah, yeah, yeah.